Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Jesus was amazed at two things. He was amazed at people, first of all, who had faith, who had great faith. There's a really good story in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed by this soldier's faith. And the interesting thing is that the second thing that he was amazed at is the opposite of that. He was amazed when people had incredible lack of faith. And those are really the only things you find Jesus being amazed at in the Gospels. And and in this series called Faithful, we want to be people, we want to learn how to be people who are uh, people of faith, who are growing in our faith, who are having great faith when it comes to difficult things. We're having great faith when it comes to uh, the good things. We're having just great faith in the daily things of life. So the question that we're asking is, is this, what does it take to have that kind of faith? What does it take to have the kind of faith that Jesus is amazed by? Last week, we said in this series, in part one, we're uh, using this acronym with the word faith. And we said that the F stands for friends who care. Friends who care. That there are five faith catalysts. And we're going to talk through each one of these each week. And the first one was friends who care. Today we're going to be talking about the second one. And I can't wait to dig into that with you. So when I was in fifth grade, I was uh, a quiet kind of kid. I was pretty shy. And it surprised me really myself. It surprised my parents. It surprised my teachers when I decided that I wanted to try out for the spring play at our school. And that spring play was called The Music Man. And uh, I prepared, I had to prepare a song for an audition. And I got to tell you, I mean, I'm not bragging here, but I got to tell you that I nailed that audition. Like I nailed it. I went in and uh, sang my song. I can still remember it today. It was called 76 Trombones. And I could sing it for you right now. I will spare you. But uh, I just uh, nailed it. And so they gave me the lead role. And that role was somebody, like a character named Harold Hill. And, And so I was kind of one of the lead roles, one of the stars in that production. And so I spent that whole spring learning lines and going to rehearsals and, and the whole, um, that we did it for a couple of nights. We did the musical and it was super fun and a lot of crazy stuff happened. But uh, one of the things that I realized in the middle of that was this, that even though I was one of the lead characters, I was just part of a larger story. I was part of a larger story. Part of being a Christian full of faith. Part of being a Christian that's faithful is to realize that you are part of a larger story. Uh, Author and pastor Rick Warren, who led Saddleback Church for a long time, wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I would highly recommend it if you haven't read it yet. But the very first line in that book, he says this, it's not about you. It's not about you. You see, 
uh, he had to write that because we tend to think that it starts and ends with me, that life is all about me. Life is about my, uh, my identity, who I am, getting the uh, house that I want, the family that I want, the career that I want, the money that I want, the, the things that the money can buy that I want. And it just starts with me and it ends with me. And sometimes we think that that's the story that we're telling with our lives. That's the story that we try to tell. Maybe you're finding yourself in that place now where you're thinking, well, if I'm honest, I'm telling a story that's just about me. When you uh, do a search for the top goals that people have, and, and this is intuitive anyway, but when you even search for them, almost always the top goal that people have is a search for purpose, a search for meaning. It's almost always at the top. What is my purpose in life? What, is, what, is, what does it mean for me to have meaning in my life? My observation with my kids is my kids, when they're pursuing something purposeful, when they're doing something purposeful, they have something purposeful to do. Uh, they're happier when they are uh, in a job, when they are pursuing uh, amazing things in, in high school, in college, when um, well, one of my sons is a musician, so when he pursues his music and digs into it, he's just happier. We're happier when we have something purposeful to do. When I was in my 20s, one of my biggest fears was, was this. I would ask myself this question, what, what if I waste my life? Like, like, what if I do something that, um, that, that I feel like wasted and I wake up when, in my, when I'm in my 60s or 70s and I realize I've just wasted a bunch of years of my life? Now, anytime we start talking about discovering your gifts, discovering your, your, your purpose, there's a fear involved. And the fear is this, I'm going to have to do more. I, I'm, I'm going to have to do more. And the truth, though, is this. When you discover your purpose, when you discover your gifts and begin to use them, you may actually end up doing less because then you're able to say no to the things that are outside of your, your, your giftedness and you're able to say yes to the best things. And the things that you begin to do will actually give you energy, not drain you. I, I know how exhausting it, it can be to, to feel like you're doing something that's outside of your, of, your, of your realm of giftedness. And what happens is that that just drains your energy. But, but here's the truth. When you discover your gifts, and we're going to talk about what the Bible calls spiritual gifts, when you discover those and dig in, what you'll find is that you'll begin to receive more energy than you give away. It's pre a pretty incredible um, thing. When I was in college, I, uh, I, I had this real desire for, um, to, to figure this out, and I had uh, spent time in student ministry in college, working with high school and middle school students, volunteering, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I came out of college. In fact, I was a history major, and it's like, what do you do with a history major? But I knew that ministry was something that I was excited about, and, uh, and also working with middle school and high school students was something that I found that I loved. And um, so I took a job out of college as a middle school and high school uh, youth ministry director in Winston-Salem. And I loved what I did there. I loved so much about it. But in the middle of that, about three years in, I began to realize that it felt like God was moving me in a different direction. It felt like he was calling me into more um, pastoral leadership, into more uh, church uh, leadership in that area of ministry. And, uh, and so I loved what I was doing with students, but I really felt led in this direction after doing that for about three years. And so 
Um, that led me to a different church. It led us to move to Charlotte, and, and it led me into this whole area of church planting. And, um, and, and so throughout my time doing that, I began to discover, here are the gifts I have, and here are the gifts that I don't. And it's, it's much more important than just what you're doing for your career. It's where you're going to spend your time. It's where you're going to sp- spend the majority of your time. And this is why I believe one of the most important things you can do, maybe the most important thing you can do in your life is to discover why you're here. Now, those words from Rick Warren might be echoing in your ears, but it's not about you. And this is where it gets a little bit counterintuitive. And you, you may even have this resistance to this because you're wired to guard yourself. You're wired to guard yourself. And th- this is where Jesus turns things upside down. Because finding your purpose doesn't start and end with you alone. It's, it's, it's not about you, but you and I are, are called to discover the things that we have been gifted in. And so uh, the Apostle Paul is thinking about that when he writes this letter to the, a, a group of Christians in Rome. He's thinking, um, what do I say about how you discover your purpose and how you find out what you're really called to do? Paul had, before he met Christ, he had grown uh, and lived uh, in opposition to Jesus. He had, in fact, led uh, a, lot of, a lot of efforts to get rid of Christianity. He had tried to have Christians arrested, and he had them beaten, and in some cases, he even had them killed. He had a murder. And so there's this one incredible day when Paul is riding his horse, uh, and he's going down this road uh, to Damascus, and he has this encounter with Jesus. Uh, where, where Jesus just, just shows up in a vision and Paul falls back off of his horse, hits the ground, he goes blind for several days and Jesus speaks to him. Jesus pulls him in, Jesus challenges him and where Jesus could have condemned him and sent him off. Instead, what Jesus said was this, I'm gonna help you discover why you are really here. And I'm going to turn this thing around so that um, who you were is no longer, and I'm going to call you into something great. He helped Paul discover his purpose. And so Paul um, writes this letter to the people of, of Rome, to the Christians there, and he, um, he begins to, uh, to, to think, okay, how do I describe this to, to them, how they are supposed to do this? And here's what he says, and it comes from chapter 12, um, starting with verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, when he talked about a living sacrifice, he began to talk about a living sacrifice with this group of Christians who were mostly Jewish, who had become followers of Jesus. That would immediately have sent them in their minds back to the sacrificial system that they were a part of, that they had come out of, this sacrificial system of the past that Moses instituted. In fact, it was about grain. Like if you have grain, then you need to take a a crop of grain. You need to take a portion of that, the first portion of that, and give it back to the temple, give it back to God. If you have animals, um, you're required to give those, a portion of them back to God. And in fact, uh, whoever you are in the Jewish tradition, you were required to offer an animal sacrifice to cover over your sin. And you had to do it over and over and over and over again. And that comes from this place in the book of Leviticus, where way back in the book of Leviticus, where Moses says, it is, it is blood that makes for atonement. It's, it's blood that allows for our atonement. And so then Jesus comes along. And, and he's the culmination of that system. He's the end and the culmination of that system where his blood was shed for us once for all. 
And so Paul is, is in a reflection of all of that, and he says, what's our proper response? What's our proper response to, to Jesus? And, and the first thing he says in that passage is this. He says, be willing to let go. Not in view of anger, not in view of, of your selfishness, or, or not in view of God's power, not even that, but in view of God's mercy, he says. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be willing to let go. It's like this, God jumped in front of a speeding bus for you and he got hit instead. And so if that's the case, then, then the response should be, I'm taking all of me and laying me at your feet, God. I'm taking all of me and laying my feet, me at your feet, Jesus. And Paul starts out this way and then he continues in this passage. He says this, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If step one is be willing to let go, step two when it comes to uh, laying your life down and discovering your purpose is to alter your mental approach. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? And that, that sounds so difficult. And I, I, think it's, I think it just sounds hard for, for me when I know what goes through my mind sometimes. Ask God to renew your mind. Ask God to renew your mind. Begin to think about things differently. How do we do that? Um, a couple of thoughts on that. And there's no silver bullet to this, but a couple of thoughts. Ask God. Just, just begin to pray regularly. Ask him, will you change my mind? Will you change my mind? Will you help me to think more like you? Another way to do this is to memorize scripture, to begin to take little passages of scripture, little verses here and there, and begin to just put them to memory. You'll be amazed at what that does for your mind. And, and then a third thing is this, begin to retrain yourself to think like Jesus. And, and, and that sounds really high and mighty. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, how do we do that? How do I retrain myself to think like Jesus? One or, or two thoughts on this. One is this, pursue holiness, not happiness. Pursue holiness, not happiness. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness comes and it goes. And you see this, even when you get something you want that you think is going to make you happy, how long does it make you happy for? Not as long as you think. Pursue holiness, not happiness. In other words, pursue what God has for you. Pursue God's best. Pursue surrendering your life to him, not being perfect, but pursue holiness as he describes it, which is Jesus' life living through you, him taking on uh, these things for you, him stepping in your place and living through you. And that's going to bring happiness. But if you pursue happiness, you're not going to get either. So one uh, encouragement there is to pursue holiness, not happiness. The second one is this. Um, how, how do you retrain yourself to think like Jesus? Let yourself be known. Don't allow yourself to be hidden. Jesus was somebody who, um, who was known. He allowed himself to be known to those around him. And he's inviting you into a place where, where it's time for you to be known. It's time for me to be known. It's time for us to, to, uh, to be in community, in small communities of people who know us, where uh, we'll be able to be encouraged, we'll be able to be challenged, we'll be able to be held accountable. Let yourself be known. Don't allow yourself to be hidden. And the third thing there is this, uh, please God first, not people. Please God first, not people. Make it a habit to ask yourself, am I putting God first in this situation or am I just trying to please someone else? Uh, we, we all have a, a people pleaser in us. We all have 
that, um, that, that person who, uh, who we want to please someone else and, and we want to make them happy. But what does it look like for me to please God first? And he says that as we do those things, what that leads to is knowing what God wants you to do, knowing his will. It says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, as we conform our minds to think more like Jesus. And then we're going to get to discover his purpose for us. And, and so Paul goes on in verse 3. He says, for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. So there's a, there's, a, there's a warning here. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. This is a warning. You're going to be tempted to put yourself on a pedestal. You're going to be tempted to put yourself on the throne of your own life for, for, for you to be on that throne. Don't do it. He's saying don't do it. Be realistic. Have sober judgment, he says. Have, have, have realistic, have honest, have clear thinking judgment about yourself. And that clear thinking judgment is able to say this, I'm not God. I'm not God. He is. I'm not. So he should be on that pedestal. He should be on that throne in my heart, not me. And then Paul continues, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, this is amazing. He begins to explain what the church looks like and how there are different gifts and abilities all throughout the church, and that's on purpose. You ever known somebody who was not serving in their giftedness? They're not um, working or operating in their area of giftedness. I went to a basketball game a few years ago. It's a high school basketball game. I love to go to high school ball games. And this was a rivalry game in our area. It was uh, two schools that, that are really intense, and they have a really small gym that they were in, and it was at the end of the season, so everything's ratcheted up, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people at this game, and the, the roof was about to blow off the place even before the game started. And, and so I was excited just to watch some really good players play. And then this guy gets up, and he grabs the microphone, and it's clear that he's going to begin to sing the national anthem. And I got to tell you that it was like, it was like the worst rendition of the, like think of the worst one you've ever thought of. And this was 10 times worse. I mean, it was just like people were holding their breath as he kind of squeaked through this national anthem. I don't know that he ever hit a note right. And uh, he, people were just about to bust open and he finally finishes and everybody, like the place goes wild just because they were glad that it was over. It was incredible to watch and I felt so bad for him this is the thing that we do sometimes to ourselves though you you may want to sing with all your heart but maybe that's not your gift you you may um, want to teach you may want to lead in a certain way you may uh, be passionate about something in particular and you think that's going to be you and it's not and that's got to be okay that's got to be okay with us because what that means is that there's something better for you. Like there's something that you're more gifted in that we need for you to be involved in. Uh, like, like the church needs for you to serve in. In, in writing, like in fiction writing, we, we talk about finding your voice. 
And it takes a while to find your voice. It takes a while to find who you really are in a writer. And, and sometimes what you do when you're writing is you try to repeat what other people have done. You try to copy what others do. You do that in, uh, maybe you do that in singing, maybe you do that in your work, or maybe you do that in a sport that you play. And there's, there, it's, not, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we need to learn from other people who have done things that are further along than we are. But there's a point that comes where you've got to find your own voice. And discovering your gifts and who you uniquely are in God's economy, in God's kingdom, is about finding your place, finding your voice, and stepping into the gifts he's given you so that others can benefit from them. In fact, um, Paul concludes this passage by saying this. He says, if your gift is prophesying, in other words, if your gift is speaking truth into people's lives, then he says, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. And it's like he's got exclamation points after these words. If it's teaching, he says, then teach. If it's to encourage, then, then give encouragement. He's like, do it, just do it. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He, he's saying, just do these things, like step into them, lean into them. What's your gift? Find it, do it, step into it, and do it cheerfully. And then he concludes by saying, love must be sincere. And, and it's like he's saying, thinking back to when Jesus um, called them in the book of John and he pulled them together, pulled the disciples together, and he said, hey, um, when you love one another well, you're going to be declaring yourself to be my followers and other people are going to see that and they're going to come to know me because of the love that you have for one another. He's saying love must be sincere. Paul says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, that the zeal is that idea of energy or excitement or enthusiasm for this, this faith. Never be lacking in that, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep that fervor up. Keep that excitement up, serving the Lord. The third step in all of this is discovering your gifts and using them. Discover your gift and use it. And so when we come to this acronym of the word faith, the first word was friends who care. The, the, the second letter, A, is about activating your spiritual gifts activating your spiritual gifts. If you know Jesus, you have at least one spiritual gift that he's given you, and it might connect with your talent. It, it might be something completely different, but the scriptures say, and this is just such a cool and kind of mysterious thing, but it says that um, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, then he has given you at least one spiritual gift that is to be utilized. And this is where it's completely different than the idea of me getting to the end of life and having it still be about me. But it's the idea that, no, my life ought to be lived in light of the shadow of the cross. Like, like in the shadow of the cross, I need to live my life so that it towers over everything in my life and determines everything so that Jesus working through me is about reaching other people. And so it's not about um, forgetting myself. Uh, it's not about ignoring my gifts. It's actually about discovering them, fanning them into flame. It's what the scriptures tell us to do. And then putting them into action and, and, and inviting God, hey, God, I want to put all of this at your feet. I want to be a living sacrifice to you, including these gifts. Would you take these? Would you use these in a unique way to reach people around me for you? And the incredible thing is that as you do that, as you pursue holiness, not happiness, as you do these things, and as you, as you, as you lay yourself down as a living sacrifice, the, the, the irony and the incredible thing about this faith is that he pours himself back into you, that you receive back so much more than you feel like you're even giving. 
So a couple of things at the end here. One is this, the value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. We want to see our value increase in our lives, but the reality is that that's within my grasp, but it means I have to give it away. If I want to see my life have value, the value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. When you build your faith up, what happens, and you begin to release your faith, like, like you build it up and you begin to be full of faith, is that you begin to naturally give it away. How do I do that? Um, one way is to serve at church. Just go ahead and serve at church. And maybe you're listening to this and you're a part of Love Lake Norman. Please step in and serve. We have a place for you. In fact, we need you. Maybe you're listening to this and you're a part of another church, or maybe you're not a part of a church yet at all. Would you jump into a church and begin to serve? A second thing is this, would you get feedback from people that love you, that care about you? As you're exploring what your gifts might be, this is gonna be really, really important. This is gonna be really important. And um, this week in particular, we're offering a class uh, called Maximum Impact, and it's something that our church is gonna offer regularly, but it's about discovering and implementing your spiritual gifts, and we would invite you to attend that as well. Here's the bottom line. The value of your life is determined by how much of it you give away. Let's pray. God, would you speak to us today? Would you uh, reveal to us, um, ultimately reveal uh, Jesus to those of us who need to see him again and see him clearly, that you died for us, that you laid down everything for us, you sacrificed everything for us, and you're inviting us to respond in the only way that makes sense, is to lay down our lives for you. That includes, God, discovering our gifts, utilizing them and putting them into practice. And I just thank you that you want to involve us in your ministry and your effort to reach this world and that that we play this critical role, not as the lead role, God, but as a player with a part in your big, big story. We thank you for that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.